hello everyone today i will continue the chapter number 2 sexual reproduction in flowering plants it will be the part 2 i will begin with pollination i had already finished the embryo sac formation of eight celled stage there will be six celled nuclei surrounded by cell walls organized into cells and the remaining two nuclei called polar nuclei are situated below the egg apparatus in the large central cell this characteristic distribution of the cells within the embryo sac is is due to the monosporic development three cells grouped together at the micropylar end constitute the egg apparatus the two cells of synergids having filiform apparatus and the egg cell the synergids have a special cellular thickenings at the micropylar tip called filiform apparatus which play an important role in guiding the pollen tubes into the synergids three cells are at the chalazal end and are called the antipodal cells the large central cell as mentioned earlier has two polar nuclei thus typical angiospermic embryo sac at maturity is having eight nucleated and having seven celled cells moving on to pollination in preceding sections you have learned that the male and female gametes in flowering plants are produced in the pollen grains and embryo sac respectively as both type of gametes are non motile they have to be brought together for fertilization to occur how is this achieved by the process of pollination pollination is the mechanism to achieve this objective transfer of pollen grains shed from the anther to the stigma of the pistil is termed as pollination Flowering plants have evolved an amazing array of adaptations to achieve pollination. They make use of external agents to achieve pollination. Kinds of pollination: autogamy, geitonogamy, and xenogamy. Moving with autogamy. So autogamy in this type pollination is achieved within the same flower. Transfer of pollen grains from anther to the stigma of the same flower. In a flower, normal flower which opens and exposes. the anthers in the stigma the complete autogamy is rather rare autogamy in such flower requires synchrony autogamy in such flowers requires synchrony in pollen release and stigma receptivity and also the anthers and stigma should lie close to each other so that self pollination can occur some plants remember covid as in remember the covid outbreak had happened so you can remember cov 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 so commonelia oxalis and viola cov commonelia oxalis viola these have these produce these plants produce two types of flowers the two types of flowers are chasmogamous flower and cleistogamous flower chasmogamous and cleistogamous the cle- chasmogamous flowers are like the similar flowers we see outside um, which have exposed anther and stigma and the cleistogamous flowers which do not open at all they do not open in such flowers the anthers and the stigma lies close to each other when the anthers dehiscence in the flowers buds pollen grains come in contact with the stigma and to effect pollination thus cleistogamous flowers are invariably autogamous as there is no chance of cross pollination landing on the stigma as they are not opening at all simple cleistogamous flowers produced assured seed set even in the absence of pollinators so even there is no external pollinators it does not have any problem because cleistogamous flowers are always closed and hence it will have a sure shot autogamous pollination that is the anthers and the stigma of the same flower will fertilize so autogamous now moving to geitonogamy in this geitonogamy the anthers uh, the pollen grains of one flower will fertilize uh, the stigma of another flower but the two flowers will be of the same plant the two flowers will be of the same plant though geitonogamy is functionally cross pollination involving pollinating agent genetically it is similar to autogamy since the pollen grains come from the same plant remember this geitonogamy is mechanically or say functionally cross pollination however genetically it is autogamous as the both the flowers are of the same plant now xenogamy xenogamy transfer of the pollen grains from anther to the stigma of different plants different flowers complete this is the only type of pollination where during uh, when during 
pollination brings genetic genetical uh, different types of pollen grains to the stigma this is the only type of pollination which during which during the pollination brings genetically different types of pollen grains to the stigma now if you think of this question the question says there is a dioecious flower dioecious flowers means it is either a male flower or a female flower now what type of pollinations can occur in the dioecious flower both the genogamy and xenogamy it is a dioecious flower not a dioecious plant therefore a single plant will bear male flower separately female flower separately hence it is okay but if it is a it says that what kind of pollinations can occur in a dioecious plant if it says plant that means a single plant will have only male flowers or only female flowers therefore it will the, then in that case if it says dioecious plant only xenogamy can uh. occur agents of pollination plants uses two abiotic uh, and one biotic agents to achieve pollination the abiotic agents are water and wind biotic agents are animals to achieve pollination majority of the plants uses biotic agents for pollination only a small pro- proportion of the plant uses abiotic agents pollen grains coming in contact with the stigma is a chance factor for both wind and water pollination to compensate for these uncertainties and associated loss of pollen grains flower produce enormous amount of pollen this is very simple so there is very less chance of fertilization so the, the flowers will produce enormous amount of pollen grains pollination by wind is more common among the abiotic pollinations wind pollinations require pollen grains are light the pollen grains for wind pollination is simple if you think it has to be carried by wind so it will be very light it will be non sticky so that can be transported so that it can be transported by the wind currents they often possesses well exposed stamens so that the pollens are easily dispersed into the wind currents the large often feathery stigma is to easily trap the airborne pollen grains the wind pollinated flowers often have single ovule okay the characteristics of wind pollinated flowers single ovule in each ovary numerous flowers pack into inflorescence two points single ovule in each ovary one ovary one ovule and numerous flowers packed into inflorescence a familiar example is of the corn cob the tassels that you see are nothing but the stigma in a corn cob the tassels that you see are nothing but the stigma and the style which wave in the wind to trap the pollen grains wind pollination is quite common in the grasses pollination by water is quite rare only 30 genera that too mostly mostly monocots so remember about 30 genera mostly monocots as against this you will recall the water is regular mode of transport for the male gametes among the lower plant groups among the lower plants groups such as algae bryophytes pseudophytes water is the only and the most common it is a regular mode of transport it is the only mode of transport you see for the algae bryophytes and pseudophytes however in case of the angiosperms only about 30 genera that also mostly monocots it is believed particularly for some bryophytes and pseudophytes that their distribution is limited because of the need of water for the transport of the male gametes and fertilization some examples of water pollinated flower plants are valisneria and hydrilla which can grow in fresh water so fresh water examples valisneria hydrilla see so the valisneria and hydrilla will be fresh water pollinated by uh, fresh water plants pollinated by water and uh, marine are the sea grasses such as zostera sea grasses will all be water pollinated for example the zostera not all aquatic plants uses water uh, for pollination in majority of the aquatic plants such as water hyacinth and water lily the flower uh, emerges above the level of the water above the level of the water and are pollinated by insects or wind as in most of the land plants like the land plants they will do it by water uh, i mean winds or insects in valisneria the female flower reaches the surface of the water by a long stalk and the female uh, and the male flowers or pollen grains are uh, released onto the surface of the water they are carried passively by the water currents 
some of them eventually reaches the female flower even at the stigma in another group of water pollinated flowers such as sea grasses the female flower re remains submerged inside the water level uh, inside the water and the pollen grains are released inside the water itself the pollen grains in many species such uh, uh, are having long ribbon like structure and they are carried passively inside the water some of them reach the stigma and achieve pollination their characteristics is long and ribbon like carried passively in both cases say for example valisneria it will be carried passively by the water currents in here also for example the sea grasses there will be long uh, ribbon like will have mucilaginous uh, mucilaginous coating that will prevent uh, rot, uh, it will protect it from the rotting effects of water and it will also be carried passively and there are certain plants like water hyacinth and water lily so they will be pollinated by insects or wind they will not be pollinated by water so majority of the flowering plants uses biotic agents such as the animals uh, as pollinating agents bees butterflies flies beetles wasps ants moths birds birds in sunbirds or hummingbirds and bats are the common pollinating agents among in animals insects are part, uh, among the animals insects particularly bees are the dominant biotic pollinating agents very important bees are the dominant biotic pollinating agents even larger animals such as uh, you know primates as in lemurs arboreal tree dwelling uh, rodents or even reptiles gecko lizard g e c k o gecko lizard and garden lizard have also been reported as some pollinators in some species often flowers of animal pollinated plants are specially adapted for particular species of animals species specific majority of the insect pollinated flowers are large colorful fragrant and rich in nectar when the flowers are small a number of flowers are clustered into an inflorescence to make an conspicuous to make them conspicuous so if the flowers are small so many flowers will come together to form a cluster and an inflorescence and hence it will appear as a larger flower animals are attracted to the flower by color or by fragrance the flower pollinating by flies and beetles secrete foul odor the flies or beetles will be attracted by foul odor to attract um, these animals to sustain animal visits the flower has to provide rewards these are called uh, uh, the rewards are generally the nectar and the pollen grains uh, are usually the floral rewards for harvesting the reward from the flower the animal visitor will come and they will be in contact with the anther and the stigma in this way they will help in the process of the pollination and in the reward the flower will provide it with nectar the body of the animal gets a coating of the pollen grains which are generally sticky in the animal pollinated flowers the coating will be sticky for animal case when the animal carrying pollen on its body come in contact with the stigma it brings about pollination in some species floral rewards are in providing safe places to lay eggs the example is amorphalus flower tallest flower amorphalus the flower itself is having a height of 6 feet the flower itself is having a height of 6 feet not the plant amorphalus remember the name it is having with a moth the name of the moth is pronuba moth it is having a relationship it is uh, this kind of relationship is mutualism also in the case of plant yucca where both species moth and the plant cannot complete their life cycle without each other the moth deposits its egg in the locule of the ovary and the flower in turn gets pollinated by the moth the larva of the moth come out of the egg as the seeds start developing now coming to outbreeding de devices majority of the flowering plants produce hermaphrodite flowers and pollen grains are likely to come in contact with the stigma of the same flower continued self pollination result in inbreeding depression flowering plants have developed many devices to discourage the self pollination and encourage cross pollination to increase their uh, vigor and also prevent inbreeding depression in some species pollen in some species the pollen release and stigma receptivity are not synchronized either the pollen is released before the stigma or the uh, becomes receptive or the stigma sigma the stigma becomes receptive much before the release of the pollen either the pollen release 
is much before the stigma becomes stigma becomes receptive or the stigma becomes receptive much before the pollen release in some species the anther and the stigma are placed in different positions so that the pollen cannot come in contact with the stigma of the same flower both these devices prevent autogamy the third device is used to prevent inbreeding is self incompatibility this is a genetic mechanism it is self incompatibility and prevent cell pollination from fertile uh, of the same flower you see another device to prevent cell pollination is a production of unisexual flowers so completely done unisexuality it is also known as dicliny for example papaya date palm okay it will have dicliny monoecious condition monoecious flowers it prevents autogamy but not gitanogamy very important it will prevent autogamy but not gitanogamy it is having a monoecious flower but if the plant itself is monoecious if the it, in several species such as papaya male and female flowers are not present on the uh, different plant dioshi papaya date palm they will have dioecious plants so if they are having dioecious plants it is definite that it will have dioecious flowers if it is having a dioecious plant then both autogamy and gitanogamy will be prevented coming to pollen pistil interactions pollination does not guarantee the transfer of the right type of pollen so if you are having a hibiscus uh, china rose flower uh say for example a tulip pollen can also come in contact with the stigma of the china rose so it will not bring out definitely it will not bring out any uh pollination so there is a pollen pistil interaction the pollination does not guarantee the transfer of the right type of pollen compatible pollen of the same species as the stigma often the pollen of the wrong type either from the species or from different plant or something there is self incompatible uh, as i said to prevent inbreeding there is self incompatibility there may be the self incompatibility case or a different species or different kind of flower may come so it is incompatible if it is of the right type the pistil will accept the pollen and promotes post pollination events that lead to fertilization if the pollen is of the wrong type pistil will reject the pollen by preventing the pollen germination on the stigma the ability of the pistil to recognize the pollen followed by its acceptance or rejection is the result of continuous dialogue between the pollen grain and the pistil this dialogue is mediated by chemical components of the pollen interacting with those of the pistil it is only in the recent years that the botanists have been able to identify some of the pollen pistil interactions components leading to the recognition and followed by acceptance or rejection so there is this chemical uh, chemical uh, reactions and all that that is uh, resulting in the continuous dialogue between the pollen grains and the pistil now botanists in recent years have been able to identify some of the pollen pistil components and the interactions leading to recognition followed by acceptance or uh, rejection okay as mentioned earlier following compatible pollen uh, pollination the pollen grain germinates on the stigma to produce a pollen tube through one of the germ pores the contents of the pollen grain move to the pollen tube the pollen tube grows through the tissue of the stigma and style and reaches the ovary you would recall that in some plants pollen grains are shed at two cells conditions a vegetative cell and a generative cell in such plants the generative cell divides and forms the two male gametes during the growth of the pollen tube so during the growth of the pollen tube they will divide into two male gametes in plants which shed the pollen grains at three cell condition that i said mentioned at the 40% of the angiosperms the pollen tubes carry two male gametes from the beginning itself so it is understood so pollen tube after reaching the ovary enters the ovule through the micropylar end now listen very carefully in order to enter the ovule it can enter by any ways it can enter through the chalaza it can enter through the integuments it can enter through the micropyle but to enter into the embryo sac it has only one way that is through the micropyle okay so to enter the ovule it can enter through any three ways the micropyle or the chalaza or the 
integuments however to enter into the embryo sac it has to only enter through the micropyle many recent studies have shown that the filiform apparatus present at the micropylar end of the synergids guides the entry of the pollen tube all these events from the pollen deposition on the stigma until the pollen tube enters the ovule are together referred as pollen pistil interaction so question mark as till what stage is the pollen pistil interaction only the stage where that um, recognition of the pollen on the stigma or the complete the events from the pollen deposition on the stigma until the pollen tubes enter the ovary or until this total total may the pollen will fall on the stigma there will be recognition then there will be acceptance if rejection then okay if there is acceptance then it will form uh, pollen tube it will come down all through the style then into the ovary then ovule then into the embryo sac then till that point after it has entered the ovule that point it will say till this entire part was the pollen pistil interaction as pointed out earlier the pollen pistil interaction is a dynamic process involving pollen recognition followed by promotion or inhibition of the pollen the knowledge gained by this area would help the plant breeders plant breeders in manipulating the pollen pistil interaction even in incompatible pollination to get desired hybrids so they will do some modifications to uh, uh, get the acceptance you can study pollen germination by dusting some pollen grains such as of pea chickpea crotalaria balsam vinca on a glass slide so what you have to take sugar solution and it will also require boric solution as boron is very important for the germination of pollen tube artificial hybridization artificial hybridization is one of the major approaches of the crop breeding program in such crossing experiments it is important to make sure that only the desired pollen grains are used for pollination and the stigma is protected from the contamination from unwanted pollen grains this is achieved by emasculation and bagging techniques if the female flower uh, if the sorry if the female parent bears bisexual flowers removal of the anthers from the flower bud before the anther decays using a forceps is necessary however if the female flower If the flower is unisexual, then the emasculation process is not required. Emasculated flowers paper uh, to prevent contamination of its stigma and unwanted pollen. This receptivity mature pollen grains is collected from the anther of the male parent and dusted on the stigma. The flowers are rebagged and the fruits are allowed to develop. Therefore, you will only uh, allow the desired pollen to uh, pollinate, and the bagging process will uh, not allow the unwanted pollens to enter. Uh, and get fertilized if the female pa- parent produces only unisexual flowers there is no need for emasculation this is very simple if it is only it is having only gynoecium then what is the use of uh, then there is no androecium so what emasculation will you do there is no need and there is no uh, there is no part 2.3 double fertilization after entering one of the synergids the pollen tube releases two male gametes into the cytoplasm of the synergids one of the male gametes move into the excel and fuses with the nucleus thus completing the syngamy the result is the in the formation of the diploid cell that is the zygote it will result in the formation of the diploid cell called the zygote the other male gametes will move towards the polar nuclei in the central cell it is having two nuclei forming a single cell called the polar cell and remember the position the position it says that is below below the egg apparatus it says below the apparatus egg apparatus though it in the picture it shows it is above the egg apparatus but in the text it is mentioned that the remaining two nuclei called the polar nuclei are situated below the egg apparatus in the large central cell no now there are two male gametes one will fuse with the egg cell form the zygote other will fuse with the two polar nuclei situated below the egg apparatus and form the primary triploid primary endosperm nucleus pen primary endosperm nucleus it is triploid nnn n3n triploid this is termed triple fusion there are two fertilization occurring so it is called the double fertilization unique to flowering plants the only double fertilization occurring is in case of the angiosperms this angiosperms only uh, this case it will have uh, only angiosperms gymnosperm will not have double fertilization gymnosperm will have only single one fertilization it is a characteristic feature of the angiosperms to have double fertilization one will cause the zygote formation other will cause the primary endosperm nucleus formation now this will form the primary endosperm cell and thus forming the endosperm zygote will form into the embryo thank you for listening i will make the third part part number 3 which will compose of the post fertilization structures and events thank you Stay tuned for more updates and episodes.
थैंक यू फॉर लिसनिंग हेलो एवरीवन टुडे आई विल रीड आउट चैप्टर नंबर टू सेक्सुअल रिप्रोडक्शन इन फ्लावरिंग प्लांट्स फर्स्ट पार्ट प्री फर्टिलाइजेशन स्ट्रक्चर एंड इवेंट्स much before the actual flower is seen on a plant the decision that the plant is going to flower has taken place several hormonal and structural changes are initiated which lead to the differentiation and further development of the floral primordium inflorescences are formed which bear the floral buds and then the flowers in the flower the male and the female reproductive structures the androecium and gynoecium differentiate and develop you would recollect that the androecium consists of a whole of stamens representing the male reproductive organ and the gynoecium represent the female reproductive organ moving on to the male reproductive system in the flowering plants the stamen microsporangium and the pollen grains the stamen a typical stamen has two parts the long and slender stalk called the filament and the terminal generally bilobed structure called the anther the proximal end of the filament is attached to the thalamus or the petal of the flower the number and the length of the stamens are variable in flowers of different species if you were to collect a stamen each of from 10 flowers each of different species and arrange them on a slide you would be able to appreciate the large variation in the size of nature careful observation of each stamen under a dissecting microscope and making neat diagrams would elucidate and the range and shape and attachment of the anthers in different flowers a typical angiosperm anther is bilobed with each lobe having two theca they are dithecas therefore anther bilobed each lobes having two theca they are thus dithecas therefore in total we have four thecas so in general case in angiosperms they will have four thecas often a longitudinal groove runs lengthwise separating the theca in each lobe it will have two theca the two theca will be separated in the each lobe by a longitudinal groove the groove is called the the groove this groove part is sterile and this also acts as a line of dehiscence now what is line of dehiscence line of dehiscence is that assumed line with respect to which the anther will show dehiscence as the pollen grains will burst out let us now understand the various types of tissues and their organism organization in the transverse section of an anther the bilobed anther bilobed nature of the anther is very distinct in the transverse section of the anther the anther is four sided so the shape of the anther will be tetragonal as you see the anther will have two lobes and each lobe will have two theca in the anterior and posterior and on the two side they will have two lobes therefore it have have four four corners or it is four sided it's called the tetragonal structure consisting of four microsporangia located at the corners two in each lobe so there will be two theca one microsporangia in each one microsporangia will be in each theca therefore there are two theca on the left lobe two theca on the right lobe therefore fourth theca so four microsporangia now the microsporangia further develop further and become pollen sacs they extend longitudinally all through the length of the anther and are packed with pollen grains they are filled with the pollen grains this cavity is con- uh, completely filled with the pollen grains now the structure of the microsporangia in a transverse section if you cut a transverse section a typical microsporangia appears circular circular in outline so the anther will be of shape tetragonal but the microsporangium will be of circular outline circular shape it it is generally surrounded by four wall layers the epidermis then endothecium then middle layers and then the tapetum the outer three layers perform the function of protection and help in dehiscence of the anther that is in the process by which the pollen grains will be released from the anther that is called the dehiscence so the outer three layers will help in the dehiscence of the anther to release the pollen the innermost wall layer is called the tapetum it is important the tapetum layer is the innermost layer and it is important it nourishes the developing pollen grains cells of the tapetum possesses dense cytoplasm 
these cells will have certain characteristics they will have dense cytoplasm generally have more than one nucleus now it says can you think of how the tapetal cells become binucleate this question can come in the neat exam though it is given directly the in the text it is mentioned in the ncrt that can you think of how the tapetal cells could become binucleate the answer will be by through the process of endomitosis remember the process is called endomitosis by which the tapetal cells forms becomes or forms or becomes binucleate when the anther is young a group of compactly arranged homogeneous cells very important it will uh, the in neat exam it may ask the criteria of the sorry characteristics of the sporogenous tissue you will say it is it has uh, or the uh, sporogenous tissue yes it will it will uh, you will tell that it has compactly arranged homogeneous cells these are compactly arranged and they are homogeneous cells occupies the center of each microsporangium in the center of the microsporangium they will have the sporogenous tissue moving on to the process called microsporogenesis now what is this as the anther develops the cells of the sporogenous tissue undergo meiotic divisions as the anther develops the cells of the sporogenous tissue will undergo meiotic divisions to form four to form microspore tetrads you see a single microspore mother cell will do undergo meiotic divisions to form microspore tetrads so that means four each meiosis will result in four haploid cells those are the those are actually who will mature to form the pollen grains these microspore tetrads will have four microspores so these microspores will only mature to form the pollen grains yes as each cell of the sporogenous tissue is capable of giving rise to a microspore tetrad each one is a potential pollen or microspore mother cell very important so every cell inside the sporogenous which makes up the sporogenous tissue will be a potential pollen mother cell it is says pollen mother cell pollen or microspore mother cell okay pollen or microspore you can interrelate the process of the formation of the microspore from a pollen mother cell this meiosis process is generally uh, this through meiosis is called the microsporogenesis it is not exactly meiosis there will be several other uh, maturation of the uh, process differentiation process etc etc the which will occur this entire mechanism is called the microsporogenesis the microspores as they uh, are formed are arranged in a cluster of four cells they are called the microspore tetrad so each single meiosis will result in the four microspores so they will form a tetrad structure in a tetragonal manner Uh, you can relate to this as sp3 hybridization a general sp3 hybridization will have a tetrahedral structure as from chemistry so the same is at uh, like this in microspore it will have a tetrahedral or tetrad structure as the anther mature and re dehydrate the microspore dissociate from each other and form pollen grains they will mature to form the pollen grains for that process they need to get dehydrated Inside the microsporangium, several thousands of microspores or pollen grains are formed that are released with the dehiscence of the anther. Pollen grain. The pollen grain represent the male gametophyte. Very important line. The gametophyte, the male gametophyte of the angiosperm is represented by what? Pollen grains. If you touch and open the anthers of hibiscus or any other flower, you would find the deposition of yellowy powder, yellowish powder, pollen grains on your fingers. Sprinkle these grains on a drop of water and take it on a glass slide and observe on the microscope. Microscope. You will really be amazed at the variety of the architecture, size, shape, color, design, etc., etc. Seen on the pollen grains from the different of different different species. Now, important point: pollen grain are generally spherical. so what was the shape uh, of the anther it was tetragonal generally tetragonal what was the shape of the microsporangia it was circular now what is the shape of the pollen grains it is generally spherical so each term is very important tetragonal circular and spherical measuring about 25 to 50 question may come what is the average uh, diameter of the pollen grains it is 25 to 50 micrometers in diameter it has prominent two layers the outer layer is hard and is called the exine and the inner layer is uh, of the is called known as intine so the exine is made up of sporopollenin the important fact about sporopollenin the most resistant organic material known and the inner layer is called the intine intine is made of what now this intine layer it is thin 
it is continuous layer made of cellulose and pectin so and uh, so this uh, pollen grain will have outer layer inner layer outer layer is hard it is called the exine exine is made up of sporopollenin sporopollenin fact about sporopollenin most resistant organic material known it can withstand high temperatures and strong acids and alkali also so no enzyme that degrades sporopollenin is not known i mean no enzyme is known that will uh, that can uh, that has the potential to degree, uh, degrade the sporopollenin so it is that much resistant organic material now the pollen grain exine has some prominent apertures these are called the germ pores germ pores where the sporopollenin is absent however remember it says only sporopollenin absent but it does not say that the intine layer is also absent intine intine layer it says it is thin and continuous layer there is no discontinuation there is no pore in intine however there is pore in the exine wall okay so intine layer made of cellulose and pectin and the outer layer exine made up sporopollenin the cytoplasm of the pollen grains is surrounded by a plasma membrane when the pollen grain is mature contains two cells the vegetative cell and the generative cell now you have to remember the characteristics of the vegetative cell and the generative cell the vegetative cell is the bigger one the vegetative cell is bigger and has abundant food reserve and a large irregular shaped nucleus so vegetative cell is bigger abundant food reserve and large irregular shaped nucleus in case of generative cell it is small floats floats in the uh, cytoplasm of the vegetative cell it floats in the cytoplasm of the vegetative cell and the shape of the generative cell is spindle with dense cytoplasm dense cytoplasm and a nucleus so characteristics generative cell and vegetative cell so vegetative cell will have the big vegetative cell will be bigger has abundant food reserve large irregular shaped nucleus large and irregular shaped nucleus that is of for the vegetative cell and generative cell it is small generative cell is small and floats in the cytoplasm of the vegetative cell and it is spindle shaped now in 60% of the angiosperm the pollen grains are shed at this two cell stage two cells as in generative cell and vegetative cell in the remaining species which counts for amo, uh, amount um, say 40% so 60% will be this uh, shed at two cell stage and the rest 40% around 40% the remaining species the generative cell will divide mitotically to give rise to two male gametes before the pollen grains are shed so before there is this dehiscence of anther and the pollen grains are shed 60% of the angiosperms will have two cell stage one vegetative cell one generative cell however the remaining around 40% will have three cell stage one vegetative cell that was okay and the generative cell undergo a single mitosis to form two male gametes two male gametes okay now pollen grains of many species cause severe allergies and bronchial affliction in some people often leading to chronic respiratory disorder now what is the difference between chronic respiratory disorder or something like acute respiratory disorder so in chronic term refers to the disorder which will be a long process disorder as in the if there is the if somebody is in exposure of pollen grains that causes his, him or her allergies for a long period of time it will cause him to develop the chronic respiratory disorder like asthma bronchitis okay it may be mentioned that parthenia or we know as carrot grass that came into india as a contaminant with imported wheat has become ubiquitous in occurrence and causes pollen allergy pollen allergy ubiquitous as in ubiquitous means uh, it is very common it is everywhere so it was a contaminant imported with the wheat and now it is very very common everywhere it is spread it spread so fast that it is common everywhere now pollen grains also have some benefits pollen grains are rich in nutrients it has a uh, become a fashion in the recent years to use pollen tablets as food supplements 
in the western countries a large number of pollen products are in the form of tablets and syrups are available in the market pollen consumption has been claimed to increase the performance of athletes and race horses so question in need can come from in the statement based that pollen consumption has claimed to decrease the performance of athletes and race horses so this is wrong so pollen consumption that is in the form of syrups or tablets whatever it 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 is claimed to increase the performance it is for the benefit as in food supplements so it will increase the performance of race horses or say athletes now when once the pollens are shed pollen grains have to land on the stigma before they lose viability now what is viability viability is their ability to fertilize they will lose their ability to fertilize after a certain period of time so this period of time will vary from uh, as the species will vary so different species will have different viability uh, retention time if they have to bring out fertilization they have to be viable now how long do you think the pollen grains retain viability the period for which pollen grains remain viable is highly variable highly variable and to some extent depends on the prevailing temperature and humidity say for example the temperature is very high so there the protein the in, uh, enzymes or the um, uh, proteins present inside may degrade at the molecular level it may it uh, has to contain some proteins or other uh, organic substances which may degrade due to say high temperature so their viability will decrease the retention period will decrease however if the atmosphere is very uh, suitable say very favorable then the uh, retention period will very uh, increase now there is a important point cereals such as rice wheat these cereals will have the viability period of 30 minutes rice wheat etc etc these cereals will have viability period for 30 minutes however members of srl srl remember srl solanaceae rosaceae and leguminaceae srl solanaceae rosaceae leguminaceae they will have viability for months okay you may heard of storing semen or sperms of many animals including humans for artificial insemination it is possible to store pollen grains also like this uh, in this way uh, of a large number of species for years in liquid nitrogen now what temperature minus 196 degrees celsius at minus 196 degrees celsius one one is able to store pollen grains of various species for years such stored pollen grains can be used as pollen banks similar to seed banks in crop breeding program now moving to the female reproductive part the pistil megasporangium or the ovule and the embryo sac the gynoecium represents the female reproductive part of the flower the gynoecium may consist of a single pistil so therefore we called monocarpellary pistil so it will have carpel so single pistil monocarpellary or may have more than one pistil so multicarpellary now say if there is a multiple carpels so the multiple carpels may be fused or may be free they can be fused or they can be free if they are fused together they will be called as syncarpus if they are free they will be called as apocarpus so single pistil no problem monocarpellary if there are many many pistil they will be called multicarpellary so multicarpellary can be fused or can be free tall can be fused together so it will be called syncarpus if they are free they will be called apocarpus each pistil has three parts stigma style ovary stigma serves as the landing platform for pollen grains the style is the elongated slender part beneath the stigma the basal bulge part of the pistil is the ovary inside the ovary there is a ovarian cavity or locule placenta is located inside the ovarian cavity the placenta is located inside the ovarian cavity okay recall the definition and types of placentation you studied in class 11 there were parietal uh starting with uh, there were the different placentation that was in the class 11 ncert was marginal then there was axile then there was free central then there was parietal and then there was basal so do you remember which plants which plant species showed the basal uh, placentation the answer is sunflower wheat now there is an important point multicarpellary syncarpus 
will be papaver. Multicarpellary apocarpus, example, Michelia. Michelia or Michelia, whatever. These two examples are given in the NCRT and hence it is very important. So, multicarpellary, as I said, fused, therefore, syncarpus. So, remember, papaver. The red colored flower shown in the figure 2.7 in NCRT, page number 25. And the and the right next to that there is this michelia michelia is multicarpellary apocarpus therefore the carpels are free arising from the placenta are the megasporangia commonly called ovules the number of ovules in an ovary may be one say example wheat patty mango too many papaya watermelon orchids you don't have to remember just remember just think about when you had the your last fruit say when you had papaya, you, you remember that it had a lot of seeds. So, if it, had, it has a lot of seeds, it thus implies that it has a lot of ovules. So, ovules will generally, uh, ovules will always, it will form the seeds and the ovary will form the fruit. This is a common concept. Everybody knows. So, you don't have to remember. If you, if you had watermelon, you remember there are so many seeds. As in orchids, there are thousands of seeds. Papaya has so many seeds. So, they will have uh, many ovules. But say wheat, wheat has only one seed. Paddy, in rice, paddy, they will have only one seed. Mango, we all know it has only one seed. Now moving on to megasporangium, ovule. Let us familiarize ourselves with the structure of the typical angiospermic ovule. The ovule is small, small structure attached to the placenta by means of a stalk called funicle. The name of the stalk is called the funicle. The point of attachment of the funicle in the ovule is called in the region called hilum, hilum or hilum. The body of the ovule fuses with the funicle in the region called hilum. This hilum represents the junction of the ovule and the funicle. Now, as the ovary will form the fruit and the ovule will form the seed, hilum will represent the point of attachment of the seed to the fruit wall. In case of flower, it was ovule, point of attachment of the ovule through the funicle to the ovary wall and when uh, it will form the fruit the, it will be the point of attachment of the seed through the funicle or the stalk to the fruit wall okay now each ovule has one or two protective envelopes called integuments they will have generally two uh, integuments these are the protective envelopes Now, do you remember the seeds also had two protective outer covering? They were named as testa and tegmen. So, this is same. These integuments will form the testa and tegmen of the seeds. Integ integuments encircle the new cellars except at the tip, tip where, the, where a small opening called micropyle is organized. Now, just opposite to the micropylar end is the salaza representing the basal part of the ovule. Enclosed within the integuments is a mass of cells called the nucellus. The cells of the nucellus have abundant food reserve material located in the nucellus in the embryo sac or female gametophyte. Listen very carefully. Enclosed within the integuments is a mass of cells called the nucleus, nucellus. It is nucellus. N-U-C-E-L-L-U-S. Nucellus. Cells of the nucellus have abundant food reserve material. Located in the new cellus is the embryo sac or the female gametophyte. An ovule generally has a single embryo sac, so it is called monosporic. If it has two embryo sac, it will be called disporic. No, it will be called bisporic or disporic. <coughs> now moving on to the process called megasporogenesis. The process of the formation of megaspore from the megaspore mother cell is called megasporogenesis. Now, what was microsporogenesis? Microsporogenesis was formation of microspore from microspore mother cell. Microsporogenesis. The formation of megaspore from megaspore mother cell is called megasporogenesis. Ovules generally differentiate uh, a single, single microspore mother cell uh, in the micropylar region of the new cellus. It is a large cell containing dense cytoplasm and a prominent new cellus, nucleus. Sorry. The microspore mother, a megaspore mother cell, MMC, is in the mic. Listen, 
the ovule generally differentiate a single megaspore mother cell in the micropylar region so megaspore mother cell will differentiate from the micropylar region of the nucellus it is a large cell containing dense cytoplasm and prominent nucleus the mmc undergoes mutic division megaspore mother cell undergoes mutic division meiosis results in the formation of four megaspores now the female gametophyte the major in majority majority of the flowering plants one of the megaspore is functional now which side uh, listen there is a megaspore mother cell it will undergo meiosis to form the megaspore there will be four megaspores now this megaspore mother cell is differentiated from a cell uh, uh, near to the micropylar end however in case uh, of uh, the four megaspores formed the megaspore towards the chalazal end will be will survive and the remaining will die the megaspore mother cell will differentiate from the micropylar region however the four megaspores formed the megaspore towards the chalazal end will survive and the remaining three will die and that single megaspore will form mitotic uh, through the process of mitotic divisions form the embryo sac this method of embryo sac formation from a single megaspore is termed as the monosporic development so single megaspore will form this embryo sac it will be called you know monosporic development let us study the formation of embryo sac in a little more detail the nucleus of the functional megaspore divides mitotically to form two nuclei which moves to opposite poles forming two nucleate embryo sac okay one to two these two will move to opposite poles forming the two nucleate embryo sac two more sequential mitotic nuclear divisions two more sequential mitotic nuclear divisions only nuclear divisions not cytokinesis only karyokinesis result in the formation of the four nucle nucleate and later eight nucleate two to four four to eight embryo sac it is of interest to note that these mitotic divisions are strictly free nuclear that is nuclear divisions are not followed immediately by cell wall formation after eight nucleate stage cell walls are laid down leading to organization of typical female gametophyte of embryo sac or embryo sac observe the distribution of the cells in the figure the six of the eight nuclei are surrounded by cell walls and organized into cells the remaining two nuclei the six are arranged they are okay there will form six cells the remaining two nuclei called the polar nuclei situated below the egg apparatus situated below the egg apparatus in the large central cell the two will form a single cell called the large central cell now listen very carefully six of the eight nuclei are surrounded by cell wall and organized into cells the remaining two nuclei called the polar nuclei are situated below below the egg apparatus but when you will read ncrt you will see in the figure that the central cell is above the egg apparatus now in general case in general case 